turn to our scripture for today. Um, throughout the summer, we've been moving in the theme together we create, and we have been at from, from here and there, we've been in the Old Testament, the New Testament, we've been in the Old Testament, we've been moving through the stories of Genesis, starting with the creation stories, and we've met um, Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and their children, Ishmael and Isaac, and then Jacob. And so today we reach the story of Jacob's children, um, the 12 sons, the 12 tribes. It's particularly the story of, of Joseph. And um, just to set the scene, uh, it's not a happy family. <laughs> Joseph and his brothers do not get along. Uh, Joseph is clearly the favorite and his brothers resent him for it. So this is near the end of the story. Um, so and I'll, I'll, I'll tell most of the story when I do the sermon, but just so you know, the setup for this scripture is Joseph's brothers have um, beat him up. They have tried to kill him. They threw him in a pit. They've sold him into slavery. He ended up in prison. Uh, so there's some troubles there. Um, and in all that, after he, he came out of prison, he actually moved into Pharaoh's house and has risen up to be the second most powerful person in all of Egypt. And so um, from that position, uh, the whole known world at that time enters into a time of famine. And the brothers where they are, are desperate in famine and they go to Egypt to get help and they end up going to the person that they don't know happens to be the brother that they have wronged and they are begging him from help. He knows who they are. They do not yet know who he is. And Lisa will um, offer our scripture today from Genesis 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, send everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, so dismayed were they at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come closer to me and they came closer. He said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. God has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord to all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, as well as your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. I will provide for you there, since there are five more years of famine to come, 
so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty. And now your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my own mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father how greatly I am honored in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept while Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. We celebrate the written word of scripture. Thanks be to God. We celebrate the living word, Christ among us. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Holy God, thank you for your abiding, steadfast love present with us now. Open our eyes and our ears and our hearts that we might experience your word and be changed so that we can create with you um, a new and better and healed world. Amen. So as this morning's scripture starts, it couldn't get much worse for Joseph's brothers. They are a family of farmers in the midst of a drought and a famine. They've run out of food, their families are starving, and they've come to Egypt to beg. And if all that wasn't bad enough, here's what they don't know at the beginning of this morning's scripture. The one person who can help them, the one person whose generosity they most need, that one person turns out to be their brother Joseph, the brother they kidnapped, the brother they threw in a pit, the brother they tried to kill, Joseph, the brother they sold into slavery, that Joseph. Their past has finally caught up with them. Everything that the brothers have intended, everything that they have done has finally brought them to this moment. The jig is up. Chickens have come home to roost. It's time to pay the piper. And Joseph then reveals who he is to his brothers. He sends everyone else out of the room so it's just Joseph and his brothers, and then he begins to weep uncontrollably, unhinged, scary, and he tells them, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into slavery. And here they stand before the most powerful man in Egypt, most powerful next to Pharaoh. The brothers who tried to kill Joseph are now at his mercy. Their whole story comes into this present decisive moment, and it's not a pretty story. From the start of the story, the brothers have never really liked Joseph. He is by far their father's favorite. He's the favorite son of his father's favorite wife. So much so that their father Jacob, Jacob gives Joseph a very fancy coat. We may know it from the old King James translation as a coat of many colors or from the Broadway show, the uh, Technicolor dream coat. More modern translations call it an elaborate coat or a coat with long sleeves. It is a coat of privilege. It is a coat that sets Joseph apart above his brothers and they despise him for that. And then Joseph has a few dreams and in the dreams, Joseph is a cornstalk that grows bigger and stronger than his brother's cornstalks. Joseph is a star that shines brighter than his brother's stars. And in Joseph's dreams, his brothers bow down to him, and then he lets them know about all that, and they despise him for that too. So much so that they plot and plan to do him in. 
The brothers are out working in the field one day and they see Joseph coming towards them, not working in that fancy coat. And they say to each other, enough, that's it, let's kill him. So they grab Joseph, beat him and throw him in a pit and then they take a break for lunch. What do we do now? You see, they haven't really thought this through. All they know is that they want Joseph gone. And just about that time, some Ishmaelites ride by and the brothers get an idea. They will sell their brother. That takes care of their problem. No more Joseph and they'll make a little profit. Maybe they'll even feel a little less guilty than they would have if they had killed him. So they sell Joseph into slavery and then they have to go back to their father and tell him that his son Joseph is dead. They break their father's heart. Maybe they didn't think that part through. And because of his brother's plan, Joseph is now a slave. He ends up the slave of a wealthy Egyptian, Potiphar, but that doesn't go so well. Joseph is falsely accused and ends up in prison from a pit to slavery to prison. But then in prison, Joseph and his cellmates discover something. Joseph can interpret dreams. His cellmates tell him their dreams and Joseph tells them what the dreams mean. And then years later, after years of being in prison, one of Joseph's cellmates who's been released from prison remembers. Pharaoh is now having bad dreams and this former cellmate of Joseph remembers Joseph who's still in prison and says, great Pharaoh, I know a guy. I know a guy who can interpret dreams. So after being thrown in the pit, after years as a slave, after years in prison, all thanks to his brothers, Joseph comes before Pharaoh and Pharaoh tells Joseph his dreams and Joseph says, this is easy. There will be seven years of good crops. And then after that, there will be seven years of famine. You need to start preparing now. And Pharaoh is impressed and puts Joseph in charge of the preparation for famine, in charge of Egypt. So as quickly as he was thrown in the pit, Joseph rises from prison to power, and he's now the second most powerful person in Egypt. And sure enough, famine comes, it hits Egypt, it hits Canaan, and so his brothers, starving in Canaan, completely unaware of all that has happened to Joseph, they come to Egypt to Joseph for help. Joseph knows who they are, but they have no idea who Joseph is. The last time they saw him, he was, a bl he was bloody and dirty and riding off the slave of some Ishmaelites. They don't know that this powerful Egyptian is really their brother. Joseph stands before his brothers with complete power and he doesn't know what to do, so he tests them. They haven't brought the one brother who didn't plot against him, Benjamin, the youngest of the 12 brothers. Joseph makes them go back to Canaan and get Benjamin, and they do. And then Joseph frames Benjamin for a crime. He wants to see what his brothers will do. Will they sacrifice Benjamin just like they sacrificed him? Benjamin is caught with some stolen silver and is accused, but then, but then one brother speaks up. He says to Joseph, take me. Take me instead of Benjamin. I cannot break my father's heart again. And here we are in this morning's scripture. Here's Joseph with these brothers who have done him wrong. They have done nothing but wrong by him. They've tried to kill him. They've beaten him up and thrown him in a pit. They have sold him into slavery. And Joseph has suffered for years, not just the bruises and the broken bones, but years of slavery, years of prison, all at the hands of his own brothers. 
everything that his brothers have intended for Joseph has been intended for Joseph's harm. And Joseph stands before them here in this moment and he explodes in weeping. He's so unhinged that folks hear him throughout the house. Folks hear him all the way in Pharaoh's palace and the brothers just stand, stand there dumbfounded. And then Joseph says this to his brothers, I am Joseph, I am Joseph, the brother you threw into the pit, the brother you sold into slavery. I am Joseph. And Joseph's brothers know what comes next in stories like this. Revenge. In a world that expects an eye for an eye, in a world where Joseph has all the power, all of the power over those who have tried to kill him, what comes next should be death or at least prison. Joseph's brother, in, brothers intended for him evil and harm and death and a life of slavery, their intention must be matched and checked. But then Joseph says something remarkable. He says to his brothers, your intention is not God's intention. You intended to destroy my life. God always intends to preserve life. You intended for me to live as a slave. God always intends freedom. You intended for me evil and harm, but God always intends toward our good. Joseph turns their world upside down, or as we've said here, he turns their world right side up. Joseph reorients their world, not on the basis of revenge or an eye for an eye, not on the basis of human intention. Joseph names and grounds their life in God's intention. God's intention for good, God's intention for life. Joseph says to his brothers, all that you have intended for me, all that you've done to me, all of that, even that could not defeat God's ultimate intention for good. Joseph names something true. There is an intention that is larger and broader and greater than our own. All of our intentions that tend toward harm, all the things we do wrong in the world, all of the wrong that we do to each other, there is something larger and broader beyond all that. God never stops intending our ultimate good. God never leaves us. God never stops bringing us and the whole world toward life. In theological terms, we call this providence. We've been talking this summer about God's creative power. God created us in all things in love, but God doesn't just create. God stays with God's creation. In God's providence, God stays with God's creation and upholds and sustains the world in love. God accompanies us through the whole of life, through joy and sorrow, through hardship, through suffering. God never stops caring for the world, and God is inevitably and steadily bringing the world toward the ultimate good that God intends for us all. There is never a moment, never a moment that we are outside of God's providential care, God's intending for us and the whole world good and life and love forever. Providence is the claim and the promise that beyond and encompassing the whole of life, beyond the reality of our decisions and misdirected intentions, God never leaves us and never ceases intending our good and bringing us and the whole world out into our ultimate good. Now, talking about providence can be tricky as we hear this story and hear how Joseph explains what has happened here. 
because it could start to sound like God intends everything that happens in our life. For Joseph, it could sound like God intended that Joseph be beaten, thrown in a pit, almost killed, sold into slavery, and then locked up in a prison. No. All that is what Joseph's brothers intended. God never intends our harm. And, and we've got to take care with that um, because thinking otherwise can be dangerous. As um, womanist scholar Will Gaffney points out, this is a story about slavery. And if, if we think that God intends that, we're going to get all kinds of messed up. What Joseph says here to his brothers is all this evil that you have intended, that you have let loose in the world, there was and always has been God's broader intention that moves the whole world toward good. What you intended evil, even that, even that God can use toward God's ultimate intention of good and life and love. What providence says is that there's never a moment that God's not with us. Never a moment that we're outside of God's care never a moment that we're outside of God's concern for our life and our well-being. When we talk about God's providential care, we're not saying, we are not saying that God intends everything that happens to us in every moment of every day to Joseph or to us. We're not saying that when bad things happen, we should tell each other it's all part of God's plan. No, it's not. God never intends our harm. What we are saying is that God has chosen to love us in freedom, chosen that we are free to partner with God or not, and that no matter what our choice, no matter what our intention, God never wavers. God never leaves us. God never, God never starts, stops intending our ultimate good. What we are saying is that in the midst of our present pain and our present brokenness, there's something more. There is a broader horizon as expansive as God's infinite and never-ending love for us. Nothing is beyond God's love. Nothing is beyond God's power to redeem. And so what issues forth here in this moment with Joseph and his brothers is forgiveness. What matters for today and for the rest of their days together is no longer the brothers' evil intention and all the wrong that the brothers have done to Joseph. That has shaped their lives for far too long. What matters for life is God's intention for good. And Joseph breathes deeply he wails, and then he says, this, this is where I'll stand. I will stand in God's intention for good and for life and for love. And Joseph walks down from his position of power over, and he embraces his brothers, and they weep together, and they talk together, brother to brother. Even more broadly, what issues forth here in this moment is justice, a particular vision of justice. Hugo Magallanes points to this moment in scripture as a vision of 
restorative justice. Not justice understood as punishment or revenge or retribution, but justice understood as the restoration, repair, and recreating of relationship. This kind of restorative justice requires the saying of true things. It must name the harm. I am Joseph, your brother, and we know what you've done. It requires that we say those true things, acknowledge and own them as real, so that we can then stop the harm and create something new, so that we can then recreate and repair relationships. In our own relationships that are broken and wounded by harm, it requires whether we are the one who has inflicted or suffered the harm, it requires that we name the harm and say it plain. And then actively, actively together, reorient ourselves in God's better, steadfast intention for good. In our justice work, it requires no less. For those of us who are white and seeking to live out a commitment to anti-racism, it requires that we learn and name systemic racism and our complicity in it. That we listen to those who have suffered the harm of racism and trust that their testimony, their testimony is the clearest witness to the harm we have done. And that we then, as Professor Yolanda Norton said back in February, that we then stop. Stop the harm. Dismantle the system. Listen and look to the witness and leadership of those who have been harmed to recreate new systems of equality, equity, and freedom. All the life that Joseph and his brothers have lived up until now is right here in this moment, in this morning scripture fresh and raw. Joseph tells their story and tells it true, all the harm that they have done. And then he finds for them a new place to stand, a broad and a spacious place, and he reorients their lives toward, God, toward God's steadfast intention for good. Stop the violence. Stop the oppression. Stop the harm. With God, let's create something new. From the moment of creation, God has accompanied the world God made and us every minute of every day. God is present with us now, ready 